Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. I'm Jason. Jennifer. Amanda. <laughs> I thought you were going to be Reverend Derek. For those of you who can't see us, we are uh, sitting in different positions, new perspective. This is always my spot. Yes. We we should have thrown you off and sat in a different spot. That's really would have I would have moved. I would have made somebody move. <laughs> that would have been funny. Anyway, so yeah, forgive us for our awkwardness already this morning. But what you are missing is that Jennifer also is wearing a giant, looks like a seal pelt over her. I prefer to call it a flying squirrel it, it looks like, like she's like in an old caveman movie like it has a hood and, and a front pocket well i'm jealous of it and i wish i was wearing it thank you it does look super comfortable would you like to i think i should share with our listeners how i came to own this please thing. go ahead okay. and share it i wish they could see it it's obnoxious it's, it's in fact i just big. i just texted my husband a picture of me which is really funny and he was like what is that <laughs> anyway so we're at a staff christmas party we're playing like white elephant is Becky... this the one from white elephant she's telling the story he's trying to he's trying to shame me <laughs> wow. Not Becky shame. get like kate brings one to the party everybody wants is it what wants is it wants it wants is a word and by everyone i mean kate and or becky and i <clears throat> becky gets it there's a two steal rule i take it back or i steal it and then the staff booed me. I got booed to play the white elephant game. And then Becky took it back. It ended up being Becky's. And Kate, out of her gracious heart, gave me one for Christmas. That that, <laughs> that wasn't as good of a story. That was a lot of story for not like, gonna be. like it didn't. The plane, the plane took off. It didn't really we land. We can just. Eh. No, we got to leave that in because that's hilarious. I didn't boo you. Thank you. I was like, this is a fight, guys. You get the good gifts. Come on. Speaking of fight, <laughs> our new Sierra Sermon series. <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. Nice segue. That's uh... <laughs> uh, So we're actually, we're in the first week in the park. We haven't been to the park yet. Okay, I got to ask, what is your favorite part of the park? Or do you like the park at all? Maybe you're like, I hate the park. What, what's your favorite part about doing uh, worship at the park? I love just being outside. I think it's just a whole new perspective and dynamic and I don't know, it's kind of relaxing and not at the same time, but I just love the outdoors. I like the I like the change of pace. I really do. I, I can I can coming from a very traditional background, like where every every day is the same, like this is a whole like it it throws you out of your comfort zone and it throws you into something different. And so I like it. I think it's a good change of pace and it it does by the end it makes you appreciate the dock. And so when you come back into it, it's good. But then you know then I'm looking forward to it by the end of the dock. And so I like it. I think it's a good I don't know. Gives you something to look forward to. Yeah. My favorite thing is just all the new people that we get to meet and minister to, and um, I think so, I mean I think some of them are people who are just in Clear Lake for the summer and are believers and go to churches yeah. at their permanent home, and it's awesome to see those. But I think there's a lot of people that this is just a really easy place for them to come and not feel threatened and to feel really safe and still encounter the presence of God in a really fun and atmosphere. So, and we hear, like, pretty regularly, we hear people say, like, I first came to Zion because of Zion at, at Church yeah. in the Park. And so it does attract new people to our church. But for me, it's just really the opportunity to minister to people maybe outside of our quote-unquote Zion family, too. Yeah. And for our Zion family to really live on mission and minister to them, too. Yeah. I like because, like, when I do the, when I do the count, I walk through the entire congregation at the park and you can see where people have just kind of snuck in to, to just check it out along the side because it's such a safe, you know, way to, to experience church by just checking it out before you dive deep into, into it. And so you can tell the people that are that are just checking it out for the first time. And so it's, yeah. it's kind of a cool experience. Yeah. And from an invitation standpoint, like it is, it really makes it easy for like me to invite people to church. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's so fun. You get to be outside. Like, maybe we can grab lunch afterwards. Like, it's just uh, now. I also love the dock, so I don't mind having that same conversation with, like, I'll invite people to the dock, too. But 
it, there is something about the physical door of a church building that makes it difficult for people to walk through sometimes. And so when you literally remove that, um, makes it easier. I, I love that it's the gospel gets to be proclaimed and it's in city park. It's city park and it goes out like people are hearing yeah. it. And I believe the word does not return void and that the Lord works the way he wants to. And that I also love that every, every Sunday at exactly the same time, I think it's like 10 23, the motorcycle comes by <laughs> every, every single Sunday, right at the same time. And, uh, but it, this is, and I, I say that tongue in cheek, but there is an element where, I think we experience, and it's we're talking about this, I think there is an element of spiritual warfare that takes place in outside in the park than does in the dock. Because you are in a public setting. You're in a place where uh, you there are people who are not happy that we're yeah. there. Uh, and I can tell you, I've heard the comments and I've heard people complain about it and we've had individuals. And for me, what it tells us is we're actually doing something right. Usually the people that are, are upset, it's they don't want the gospel proclaimed. And you know they're upset that a church is doing that. Well, that's what happens when the, you start pressing the gospel, you start bringing the kingdom into places, it gets uncomfortable. Um, I think the other thing that I really like, and it's funny, we were talking, both of you guys talking about uh, new people coming. I don't remember who it was I was talking to. They said the first time they came to the to the park, they didn't want anybody to know they were actually sitting in the service. So they literally hid behind a tree. <laughs> like, and they were telling me the story, like for like three weeks, they just kind of, moseyed on behind the tree and didn't want anybody to see them because they didn't want anybody to talk to them. And then eventually they got in front of the tree and then yeah. eventually they started moving <clears throat> in and, and then they started coming to the dock. Um, and I, I think there is that, there's that soft opportunity for people to check out what's going on. And I think it's just a really, uh, it's a good opportunity for us to be neighbors to the city of Clear Lake. Yeah. And by turning up our music real loud at 7 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> um, Get it pumping. So also, I think it's important to say, because by the time we're listening to this, just a reminder to anybody listening, we have our uh, block party yeah. the following Sunday. So when you're hearing this. Basically, it's in three or four, four days. days. Yeah. yeah. So make sure to invite friends. Four or five. It's technically the celebration of 150 years of ministry. That's amazing. Um, which is cool. It means that Zion has had the opportunity to do kingdom work for 150 years. That's awesome. Um. All right, so and, and that and, is something to bring your friends to. Like, yeah, it is. It it's is loving like, our city. Yeah, it is an opportunity to come in. And this is a great time to be like, come to church. It's such a great time to just be outside, you know, come to church and then just stay over. And we have lunch and inflatables and face painting. And we're not making it about the 150. The 150 is just a good reason to gather. We really want to make it so we're loving people. And community. And, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're starting our new series. Uh, this is how I fight. And it's a series on spiritual warfare. Um, I, I think it's important to talk about. We've, in the last couple of weeks, we've had several rather intense acts of violence. Mm. Uh, a school shooting, which just took place yesterday as we're report, recording this podcast. Uh, there was a, um, a shooting in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Um and plus, like, the war in Ukraine is still going the on. The war in Ukraine. Which, and, and merciless. Like, some of the stuff that's coming out of there is that it's just getting terrible right now. Yeah. When when you think about it, and, and I hate to start on kind of a downer, but when we talk about our spiritual warfare, I mean, it's so hard not to immediately think of physical war. What, what do you think is the hardest part in fathoming the idea of a spiritual war? Because the whole idea that the Bible basically promotes is that yes there is physical war but there's actually something going on behind the scenes that you don't see and i think that's hard to i think that's hard to fathom so what what do you think comes to mind what's the struggle when like for instance this random act of the the act of violence that took place in uvalde am i saying that right uvalde i, I think so um, I, I was well i was thinking about this even the phrase random act of violence is it it's random? not random yeah it's in, it, there's an intentional evil behind that and same with even random acts of kindness not random. There's yeah. an intentionality. I think it that feels comes. random. It feels random. It feels senseless. There's I mean, no it definitely provocation. Is, yeah, it is senseless. Um, but it, but it's not random in the sense that it just like sprung up and there was violence. No, like there was uh, even even before that started manifesting the physical of like the plans and the you know the thinking and that sort of thing. Like that was we see that in the spiritual. Yeah. To answer your question, um, and sorry that I'm kind of just talking a lot, but for me, what I, what makes it hard for me to understand the spiritual warfare is one that I, it's like, it's always around me. You know, there's always battles going on. Yeah. 
And I don't want to, you know, um, it's easier to blame my husband for our fights than it is to blame the one who's trying to divide us. You know what I mean? Like, it's just easy to be like, you're here in front of me. Like, you're obviously the problem. I'm obviously the problem, you know? And so just some of those things, too, where it's like, you, it's so easy to um, blame our physical reality yeah. and to not step and not to, instead of taking a moment to step back and go, no, this is bigger than than that. Maybe there's and, something else going on. Yeah. What's I think when you like with real world war, you see your enemy. You know what you're attacking. You know you you may not understand you may not understand all the <coughs> politics going into it, but in general, you know who your enemy is. But spiritual warfare, the the hard part for me is that anything that happens could affect the way I respond to it, and then I'm now a part of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's so easy mm-hmm. to be drawn to into be used. it, to be used in it, mm-hmm. or to uh, facilitate it or push it further. And I may not even know I'm doing it until like halfway through it, where I'm like, "Whoa, I yeah. need to take a step back because wow, uh, that put me in a bad mood." Or man, I really, I yeah. really reacted poorly to this, you know. And so to me, that's the hard part: not knowing the enemy and understanding its effect on how I respond to that enemy. And I think we see that even in physical. I was just reading a news article today. Um, they're doing war crimes uh, because of the war in Ukraine. And several soldiers right now, they've had two soldiers that are on trial. And one of them just flat out said, I, I don't know why I did it. Mm. What I did was evil. And there's that part where I think we can get caught up in the war machine, and including the spiritual war machine. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was a physical thing. And he participated in bombing civilians, intentionally shelling civilians, and now is on trial for it. And his description, it's almost like he was talking like an out-of-body. Sure. Like, I didn't, I, I, I can't believe I did that. And I think the same is true spiritually, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about this in the next coming weeks. I think that's the other side of it is, is we don't always realize that we, we become pawns in that warfare. And we talked about that. We'll talk more about that in the podcast is, Satan specifically wants us to sacrifice ourselves for his agenda because it's death. <clears throat> it's destruction. How about you, Amanda? Is there anything that comes to mind when you uh, when you think about what's the difficulty in thinking about spiritual warfare? I think for me, <clears throat> with it, it's, you know, the non-believers or the people who are kind of on the fence on it when you're trying to describe it to them. To them, it's just crazy talk. It's yeah, like it sounds it's weird. not now, a, it's not a tangible thing. It's not like that's not spiritual warfare. You're just having a bad day. Yeah. Like you just made a bad decision, or you were at the wrong place at the <clears throat> wrong time. It's 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 not no. Like there are things working in my life right now that are you know trying to derail me from doing good, and and I think some people it's just it's hard to. <laughs> hard to Excuse me. grasp that like that it spiritual warfare is a real thing yeah. like it's not made up yes you don't always see it but it's real and it's there yeah. yeah i think the other thing that's hard um is that they can look similar to to christ in our life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways where it's like wait is this like if i am i um, is this thing that I'm doing, is that being used as a mechanism for evil eventually? Or is, no, is that really of what God was wanting me to do? And it's going Crusades. To... Perfect example. Yeah. Like, or, or even Manifest Destiny, or when we came into taking over, taking over America. Yes. This is God's will for yes. us. And now we look back and go, that was so evil. You yes. wiped out civilizations in the name of Christianity because you took God's promise. I mean, and this is when non-Christians look at that and they go, what's wrong yeah, with you people? Yeah. So when do they and think I think, that? and I think we often go, well, is it, is it me or is it God? Is this, is it, but here's the thing, if it's not God, then what is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so anyway, I think that is tricky sometimes. I think one of the things that, that gets to me is I think it, if you're not careful, you can use spiritual warfare as an excuse for behavior. Mm. The devil made me do it. And and I do believe there are some instances where the where the enemy has influence in the life of a believer or a non-believer, and there are things we're almost like we're out of our mind. But James, the book of the the book of James actually tells us that no, I don't need Satan to tempt me. I'm perfectly good at tempting myself. Mm-hmm. But the first lie, the even way, the only reason why I even have the ability to be tempted is because Satan introduced the first lie. And so yes, Satan is ultimately responsible for all evil. 
because he he promoted the first lion in the Garden of Eden. That's what we see in Genesis chapter three. However, I make choices on a daily mm-hmm. basis that have nothing to do with Satan. They just have to do with me being selfish. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this, unfortunately, in the church where Christians will immediately assume something is the enemy and they use it as a way to deflect responsibility. Um, or on the flip side, and, and I remember this, this was uh, um, one of my pastors, a guy named Per Nielsen. We'd, we'd been through a time where several, uh, several of our key leaders at our church were um, things, sins were being exposed in key leadership and they were really intense. And I remember going to him and I think I was 34 at the time. And I said, Pear, man, it just seems like the enemy's got a hold of so much stuff. And he goes, why do you think this is Satan? What yeah, if it's God? God, yeah. What if it's God revealing? And the reason why all this is happening is that God is purifying his church, that he loves his people enough to expose these things. And I was like, my immediate response was to blame the devil. Mm-hmm. Instead of acknowledging that maybe God was revealing and, and helping to expose. Um, we used, I used Tony Evans. And if you're not familiar with Tony Evans, he's a pastor, author, writer. He talks a lot on spiritual warfare. Uh, I've got several books that I'm kind of reading to kind of uh, guide, influence, get different perspectives. And for those listening, and I, I want you to hear this, whenever I whenever I write sermons, whether it be Jennifer or Derek, we're not just talking from our own experiences. Like there's, I study and I, I want to hear from other people and other perspectives. And, and so, um, especially on a series like this, mm-hmm. I'm reading, I got uh, Victory, uh, um, Tony Evans' book, Victor Over Spiritual Darkness, I think it's called. Uh, I've got a book from Craig Groeschel that I'm reading. Um, I'm reading a book from um, another authorized name I can't remember, as well as my commentaries. Yeah. And the reason why I do this, and I want you to hear this, is that we take we take studying God's Word very seriously, and the, the greatest danger that can take place is when pastors decide that they're going to interpret or share text just from their own experiences and knowledge. And this is one of the things that I like about Sermon Read-Through, because even as we were going through Sermon Read-Through on this, the different perspectives, hearing things and different, not just experiences, but also knowledge. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing this, uh, Tony Evans in his book, he uses this illustration of chess. And I was like, okay, could I think of a better illustration? I really couldn't, but that doesn't mean the illustration is perfect. <clears throat> and the way he describes it, and he does a, a far more detailed approach to it than I do in the message. But he says, if you were to picture, picture a chessboard, and what you have is God and Satan fighting over creation, humanity, and God moves and Satan counter moves. And Satan's counter moves are always about death and destruction. He's always wanting to destroy creation. So, for instance, God creates Adam and Eve. God is a God of creation. He creates Adam and Eve. Satan, his move, then he comes into the garden and deceives them. Death enters in. He then decides that he's going to uh, basically kind of restart creation and he's going to uh, redeem some things and Satan moves again and things become evil and you see Noah enter into the picture and then you see Abraham, God uses Abraham and then over and over again, every time Satan tries to move, God brings another move. And I think one of the things that's important on this, and you had talked about it earlier, uh, Jennifer, is whenever God is moving toward, whenever he moves, I think God is always moving with the intention of human flourishing. That's, I think that's ultimately every decision, every, every move that he makes is ultimately, even ones that we don't understand, even ones that say may seem counter, counter to our understanding of just or love. God is always in the, in the business of human flourishing. He wants life and Satan always wants death. Um, but we actually got into a debate about this in our conversation and, and Jennifer share what your concern was with the chess argument. And I think it's a valid concern. Uh, I think it's important for yeah. us to talk about. Yeah, so I think the, the, I think there's a couple of points. One, is this a game? Is this yeah. just a game and God and Satan are just playing a game and cruelly using my life as <clears throat> part of that? And am I a pawn in God's plan? And how does that make me feel about my identity and worth in him? And is he cruel? Is that yeah. cruel of, of God to just use me however flippantly he feels necessary? And so that was kind of the crux of it. Uh, we obviously did get into a very deep conversation about it. I hope we do right now. Well, yes. Yeah, because Derek has to bring Derek, say your, say your part on that because I think, I think this is a good conversation. I think it, it leads to it. I don't know exactly how I, how I said it before, but uh, 
I think that if we accept that God is our king, like if he is truly in charge of our life, then to me, we have to be willing to understand that we might be a pawn in his plan. And the way I kind of look at it is I love the fact that God gives me a, a semblance of free will. I, I love that about him. I love that. Every, to me, that is one of the greatest gifts. However, because I know who he is, I need to yeah. be willing to give that up. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I know that's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about. And I know there's a lot of theology behind <laughs> free will. And I know there's a lot of uh, things behind that type of thing. But if, if we know that God is, is all loving and all, all, all knowing and all powerful, I should be willing to submit to whatever he wants me to do. And if it's to be a pawn, I need to be a pawn. If it's to be a, a, a queen, I need to be a queen. Uh, no matter what he's doing. I know that sounds weird, but we're sticking to the analogy. If I need to be a rook, I need to be a rook. I do know that there's power in in being a Christian following God. But I also know that I, I have an ego. I know I have pride. I know I have all these things that I fight against every single day. And so if I'm going to truly submit, full submission to, to God's authority, I have to give up that, that, that idea that, of free will. And I know that sounds weird, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's even what Scripture is telling us, but to me, I have to be willing to. I think and it's the, dying, the fully dying to self. Do you have a heart, a heart of the pawn with the authority of a rook? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Right? As I have to be willing. And, and so I was thinking about this even as you were talking. Okay, so... A pawn really only has one move it can make. It, it has no real, it can go forward. It can't go backwards. It can only move forward and it can go side to side when it's taking something. And that's only when it's got the authority to do that, right? And I'm not very good at chess. I'm actually a really bad chess player. I got beat by a seven-year-old when I was in my <laughs> 20s. And he told me, he's like, I'm going to beat you in six moves. I'm like, you're not going to beat me. He beat me in five. <laughs> so well, you were wrong, you I were guess. Right. Yeah. I was right. I'm like, you will not beat me in six moves, five moves later I was in checkmate. My girls uh, YouTubed and taught themselves how to play chess. Well, I like the idea of chess, but here's the thing, okay? God doesn't want us with the authority of a pawn. He mm -hmm. actually wants us to be able to move. But even going back to the free will, so if, let's use the chess illustration, the the knight can only do the L shape. Yeah. He can't do anything you want to. Right. He has He has limitations. We have to understand our authority and what our limitations are, and then we can freely move in those. We can exercise those limitations. Where we end up in problems is when we start saying, I want no limitations, God. Yes. And I, I want to be queen. I want to be king. And it's, if we're going to use the chess illustration, it's, we're not. God doesn't need our protection. Like say, God is, yeah, God is right. in no way threatened by Satan overthrowing his kingdom. He's Amen. already won. Satan's already in checkmate. It's just it's a few moves out, right? Yeah. But... I mean, I and I think that that victory is like it's already been it's already been won. And he, That's he where knows the it. game analogy falls short. Yeah, and one, but and and I actually think it doesn't fall short. And here's why: because Satan is going to do as much damage he can in the process. So it's not a game in the sense of like, oh, let's have fun. But to Satan, it is a game. Like that's that's what a game is. When you, the real intention of a game is you 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 don't really care about the outcome. You care about the game. Satan already knows he's lost, so he approaches all of this as a game. And he wants to cause as much destruction and death and take out and, and eliminate and discourage as many people as possible. God doesn't see it as a game. God sees it as, and I think this is what we see throughout Scripture, the whole notion of Jesus coming. Mm -hmm. God become flesh shows Jesus, God did not see this as a game. God stepped into it. Satan is consistently trying to undermine and and destroy what's going on. But again, I think all illustrations fall short when it comes to explaining uh, yeah. the divine yeah. and miraculous. But I, I really appreciated Jennifer is that non-Christians, even even somebody who's struggling, like yeah. what do you do with somebody who's battling illness? God, am I just a pawn in this? And I think those are honest questions. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about, and we, we quoted from Screw Tape Letters and and I think part of the thing that becomes can I, problem. Can I jump on that real quick? Yeah, please. I think part of that might be is just where you're at in I don't want to say in your in your faith walk, your faith journey. Because for me, as not a as a new Christian, like I'm I'm not worried about about the stuff that Jennifer was talking about. Yeah. For me, it's like, no God, now what do you want for me? Yeah. And what am I willing to do? If you ask me for something I'm not wanting to do, am I willing to do it? Yeah. And so, like, so I'm just at a different point in my life than what uh, maybe someone checking out the park for the first time. Right. And I think that was for me. Like, <clears throat> no, I, I have definitely already 
I'm sure there'll be more times where I like battle through of like, is this really what you're asking me to do? Okay. Then you're know, like, give me faith and to help and tell me be obedient. But where I was coming from in the, in the read through perspective is we do have a lot of people who come to the park because yeah. it is so safe, which is yeah. what we discussed earlier, who, who aren't, who can't, who don't know God. Yeah. They don't know. Like, I know God's not cruel. Like, I know that's not in his character but already, but, but it's pretty easy yeah. to us yeah. to think that he is. Yeah. And and let's just be, uh, I'm reading a book by Dan Kimball right now called How Not to Read the Bible. Does the Bible make us not believe in God? And for someone who doesn't understand the Bible, especially in our culture today, there are things in the Bible that just quite frankly challenge our notion of what we think God should be. I mean, that's all the wars, the violence, yeah. uh, the weird commands, like all those things, they they lead to more questions. And now, ultimately, there are answers, and there are reasons that they're good answers. They're not even just made up or forced. But I think, Jennifer, one of the things for you that I've seen over the years working with you is, is you really do have a heart for the non-believer. You tend to put yourself in their shoes a lot. Yeah. And I think that's important because if we only assume every person who's walking through our doors— or coming to the park is like, I'm excited for Jesus. Yay. When not a lot of people are, some of them are coming and they're, some are just walking by. Some of it's like their last hope. And and for some <laughs> of the spiritual battles, we don't have donuts this year. And, and, uh, but, but I, we I do have coffee. We do have coffee and popcorn, oh, but I joke, I jest about that. But here's the thing. Like we have people coming from all different perspectives and we're never going to hit everybody yeah, perfectly. Yeah. But Derek, you said something during sermon read through it, which was, um, because I asked the question, because I've been asked it, really, you want to do a, a series on spiritual warfare, the first in the park? That's, I mean, that seems like the weirdest series you could do. And you had, you had actually made a comment that, no, I think people are wanting answers. Mm -hmm. Say more about that. What do you think is going on in culture right now that people are wanting to understand? And then I'm going to get to the C.S. Lewis quote, because I think it ties into all this. Because I, I don't, I don't feel like you. It would be very hard, I think, to walk through this world and not see evil. Yeah. Like I, I think that's almost impossible to look around and not think that there is evil at Occurring. work. Mm -hmm. And so I think as Christians, if we ignore that and just talk yeah. about what God can do for us and the hope, can you truly understand the gospel and the hope that it brings without yeah. addressing the evil, without being willing to talk about it? And I, I do think, I think Amanda was talking about it when she gave her answer. Like, I think there are some weird stuff with spiritual warfare that might freak mm -hmm. people out, like casting out demons. And there's stuff like that that might be... Hollywood stuff. It might see. be strange for them, that, and they may not want to address that. But I think addressing how evil plays out in the world, I think that's a fundamental thing of, of humans that we do want to know. We yeah. want to have that answer for. And not that we're going to offer a complete answer, but I think talking about it helps that conversation so that when you go into your small groups, when you talk to, to other people in the church and you continue this conversation throughout the week, I think it's helpful. And people want to understand their world. Yeah, they I, need these tools to understand what's going on around them because, honestly, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, There is so much hurt and pain that you just you cannot fathom why that's occurring and so yeah. how do i live in the midst of that make sense of it and what do i do with it after the problem go ahead amanda you look oh, like you're gonna say I, something i think it's one of those things too where it's why am i waiting for the movies to tell me about mm -hmm. it why am i waiting for google to tell me about it? i should be hearing this from the church yeah. I, absolutely well and, and this is i think we, we're uncomfortable with it because one we don't fully understand it uh i think as as pastors we tend to want to fixate on things that um depending on what type of pastor you are, you either want to focus on things that are about repent from sin, repent from sin, which is important, mm -hmm. or Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. But when you start getting into spiritual warfare, you're getting into things that, quite frankly, they're not nearly as tangible as those two things. I can tell somebody to repent from sin. I can talk about God's love. But talking about demonic warfare, talking about, and we, we you know, the problem of evil and the problem of suffering either leads people to Jesus or pushes people away from Jesus. Like I see it all the time. I can't believe yeah. in a God who would, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. there must be a God because I don't know what to do with all this evil. And one of C.S. Lewis's, I think it's in Mere Christianity, and hold your thought there. Yeah. No, sorry. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity, made the comment that yes. one of the evidence of God's hand in the world is people will say, well, if there was a loving God, why did Hitler happen? The real question is, the fact that there's a loving God means we only had one Hitler. We should have way more 
way more evil atrocities happening in our world because of human nature. And, and part of the argument is, is that it's God's spirit and provision, sovereignty, that keeps the waters of chaos at bay. That's actually in Genesis chapter 1 when it says that the spirit was hovering over the water. Um, in Noah's flood, what you're really seeing there is God letting loose what he was holding back. God didn't send the rain. God removed his hand and let the, let the chaos of the world do what it wanted to do. And that's one of the evidence, according to C.S. Lewis, is the fact that we don't see more Ukraines. Yeah, more evil. More evil in that the there world. Is, there, there has been a um, uh, almost like a restriction of there, it. Yeah, there's a restraint of a it. Restraint, and, yeah. and we can't fathom it because any evil seems wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet that's exactly why we need Jesus. And that's also why God became flesh, because he didn't remove himself from evil. He allowed himself, he subjected himself to the evils of the world. And that's that in itself is so different than any other religion. Because all the other religions, either the God is the one orchestrating evil or the God is avoiding evil. But he never, we never see, apart from the person of Jesus, God becoming flesh and allowing himself being subjected to the pain of a broken and messed up world. What are you going to say, Derek? I was just going to say, I think sometimes we, spiritual warfare can become lofty where it sounds like this this cosmic mm. battle, but I know as, living space. But I know as uh, as pastors, <laughs> and I'd say even you maybe uh, as a dispatch, or even surprisingly, some of the stuff Amanda has At to Culver's. deal with every single day. And I'm not, we don't have to go into details, but like this is everyday life. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is just this mm-hmm. is people in our community. This mm-hmm. is ourselves. Like we're a part mm-hmm. of it too. Like this is not just uh, something that is happening on this <laughs> large level. No, this is. This is everyday stuff that we see all around it, that there's no way else to explain it besides that there's some, there's spiritual warfare happening. And I'm not saying that you, I'm sorry to throw yours into it, but I know that you've had a series of things like a couple of weeks ago where it's like, it was like every single day where it's like, enough, go, like help me out yeah. of this. Like there's enough going on. And one, and, and I think where sometimes we're Christians, we put ourselves in a bad position. And this goes to the C.S. Lewis quote that I wanted to share. C.S. Lewis essentially says there are two lies that the devil wants you to believe. The first is, is that he doesn't exist at all. And what's so dangerous about that is, you know, the best way for an enemy to get behind enemy lines is for you to think there's no enemy at all. And so when Christians or non-Christians say, oh, there's, there's no such thing as a devil, there's just an evil force out there, or it's just humans, man, Satan loves that. The other one is when we're so fixated on evil. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy back in the 80s and 90s named Bob Larson. He had a radio show. And everything was about spiritual warfare. And he was overly fixated on the demonic and that kind of stuff. And I remember going through a season in my own spiritual walk where I I was convinced that there were devils everywhere. Everything was demonic. Well, fast forward. Here I am, a pastor. I've got a guy who comes to my church who is saying rather demonic things. And my first response is, this guy must be demon-possessed. And we pray for him. He doesn't get better. He shows up a few weeks later and he's like, hey, I owe you an apology. I went off my medication. I battled with schizophrenia since I was six years old, you know, or whatever age. And, and he's like, I'm on my medication. And when, I, when I'm off my medication, I see things. And, and, and he's like, I'm not demon possessed. I actually love Jesus, but I got off my meds. My first reaction was to go, demon possession. This guy's demonically possessed. Let's cast out demons. And we go in and it didn't work. And I'm like, well, obviously what happened? Well, because it wasn't a demonic possession. That doesn't mean there aren't demon possessed. So the opposite side is when we attribute everything to Satan. My car gets broken into. That's the enemy trying to hold me down. Or they're just sinful people who like to steal, who believed in the lies of the enemy, but it's not like the enemy's pulling their strings. Where on the flip side is everything is just human. And there's that fine battle, that fine line. And I think that's part of the battle. I think part of the battle is, is that we don't always know what's in the spiritual realm and what's in the physical, what's human. And and in fact, I think we can argue that all things trace back to the spiritual, but that doesn't mean everything is a direct response of demonic activity. It's Satan put the virus into the computer, so to speak, and now that virus is wreaking havoc. Well, that's what sin does to us. And that was Satan. Satan was the author of lies. That's what Jesus calls him, the father of lies. Um, when, you, uh, when we think about the battles that go on, you know, there are, are four areas, and again, I didn't create these. They actually came from, from some of these books that I'm researching or studying and researching through. But there are four areas where we really see the enemy wants to attack. Um, people in general, 
uh, all people are made in the image of God. Yeah. Only those in Christ are children of God, but all are made in the image of God. And Satan hates image bearers, which means he wants to destroy not just Christians, but non-Christians. Would you say that really he hates God? Yes, he hates. And so then anything. Anything that, connected to God. Anything connected to God. He yeah. Hates, and Derek, is, okay, Derek, ask your question. Or no, who, who asked the question? Was it, was that you, Derek? No, no. Who asked the question about. Um, uh, Why don't you just ask it? Well, because I don't remember the exact phrase. It was something to the effect of, um, why did Satan rebel? Like, it, oh, what turned him so quickly sure. that he went from an angel in heaven, a created being who was the, who, the head who of... Who could see everything. Yes. And was that you who asked God's that? Glory. Yeah, ask that question. Because okay, this, I think, plays into the four things where Satan goes after. Derek had a lot of questions today. That disagree- he was disagreeable. Let's just say that. No, I just wanted us to think about that. There was a part where he's like, this whole section. I, I hated it. I didn't like I hated it. it. Actually, my favorite was every time somebody, this is the only time I think in a sermon read-through, I've heard repeatedly, not to push against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because poor Kyla was like, I really love these. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, Kyla, I'm not invalidating your opinions. I just didn't like it myself. <laughs> but I, I loved how gentle we were about it. But I'm I'm not meaning to invalidate, but I'm going to push against it. Okay, so. Mine wasn't even real. I was just... I was just mocking Jennifer I know for you doing were. it twice to Kyla. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. Mine wasn't even real. No, my, my question was just more of, and it wasn't it wasn't like a question like I, I needed an answer to. It was just a, it was like a thought of like, you know, if Jesus or if, if uh, the devil or the, you know, he's an angel, he fell from fell from heaven or kicked out of heaven. And, and you know, and but what turned him so quickly to pure evil? Because like if he if he was an angel and he's doing God's purpose, but then he decided he wanted more. He wanted to be God. Okay. But what turned him to be pure evil? Because I'm prideful. I want to be God of my own life, but I don't go trying to, you know, put deceit and evil throughout the entire world. Yeah. But I am still, I do the same thing that the devil did where I want more. I turn, want more. I back. want more. Mm-hmm. Like I don't always trust God and I want to be God, like just yeah. like Adam and Eve. So like I do the same things, but I don't turn to that full evil. Is it because I see God? Is it like, what's the reason that he went full on crazy? Full nuclear? Yeah. Full, full on full crazy. Evil. Well, because, okay, so and I, I actually, depending on your theological perspective, I think Calvin would say, no, we all are evil. That's what total depravity is. Utter depravity and total depravity are not the same thing. Um, utter depravity is you have no good in you whatsoever. You are completely evil. Nothing good can come from you, which some Calvinists will use that language. But total depravity, imagine for a moment um, if Derek was computer code. Okay. Sometimes I think he is. Sometimes I think he is. He's a robot. He's like Data from Star Trek. Um, so let's say Data, let's Data, let's say Derek, let's say Derek was computer code. All you need to do is insert a little one line of code to disrupt it, to and the whole right. thing is, is now broken. Corrupt. That's mm-hmm. total depravity. It doesn't mean everything in there is a lie. There's still good, but that line of depravity now goes through everything. So even the decisions that are good have corruption in them. It doesn't mean that they're not good. It means there's still corruption in them. And, and therefore, that's why I can't choose God, because even my choice is usually rooted in selfishness or my own attempt to... Uh, become God myself or to save myself. On the flip side, and and the Bible, most of the references that we see to Satan uh, are written in prophetic literature, which means that there's some elements of it that we don't know how much of it is poetic sure. and how much of it is literal. But the senses we get from, I think it's Isaiah and Ezekiel. I, have to, I apologize. I don't remember the exact text. But the description is that Satan was the head. Lucifer was the head of all the angels in most worship. Beautiful. Most beautiful. He had a responsibility in worship, and yet he did not see God's glory worthy of God alone. He wanted that glory, and that's where the rebellion took in. And, and I think the question, and I, this is the question I posed in Sermon Read-Through, can Satan be saved? Can Satan repent and give his repent of his sin and turn to, to Jesus and confess Jesus as Lord? Will Satan end up in heaven? And the problem that we see in Scripture, according to, for that philosophy or theology, rather, is that salvation is only possible by faith, and faith means you cannot see. Well, Satan has always seen. He knew exactly what he was rebelling against. He Angels are created perfect beings, but not perfectly holy. So they have the capacity to sin. They're not image bearers. They're not image bearers. And they have the capacity to sin still. The difference is they sin with full knowledge that they're sinning, whereas you and I... 
Romans chapter one and two tells us that we have we have the knowledge of God within us, but I've never seen God. The knowledge of God that I have has more to do with that. I know evil's wrong. I, yeah. I know that it's wrong to or murder. Or I can look at the ocean and, and wonder about the majesty of it. But the angels, when Satan made that choice to say, no, you're not worthy, I am, that was not just a degree of holiness of now just a little sin. It literally becomes an utter rebellion, right. therefore corrupting everything inside of him. And therefore his entire being, his entire intention turned from holiness of worshiping God to wanting to destroy and be worshiped himself. And to destroy everything that God did. The, the problem for us is, is that in the midst of that, what we find is that Satan is the author of lies and the author of destruction. He wants death. If God is the God of human flourishing, which is going to be one of the things we'll talk about later in this series, there are four ways, excuse me, that Satan wants to destroy. And it all starts with worship. Um, when our worship is out of place, that's when sin enters into the equation. And we all worship false things. In our discipleship process, we talk about the identity triangle, right? Well, and again, these four things are not coming directly from me. Um, I got them from other sources, Tony Evans, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember, whatever the other guy's name is, I'll print his name and share it later. Bob Goff. Bob Goff, think that was for Kate out there. She's listening. <laughs> but here are the four ways that the enemy tries to get a hold of people. First is people. People are image bearers. He hates people because he hates God. Second is God's people. So you have people, then you have God's people, the church. Satan wants to destroy the church because the church is the mission outpost for God's kingdom in the world. Third is uh, families. And we see this like Satan is at war against families. Yeah. Uh, fourth is society and culture and government. So I put those all together because I think they feed into each other. Society, culture affects government, which affects culture and society. It's a cyclical thing. Um, of those four, which to you stand out as the one that you see right now most under attack in our world? People, the church, family, or society, culture, and government. What do you see like Satan is most going after at this, this time in our culture? You know, people is a hard one because that's also the church, family, society, culture, and governments. Yep. You know, so it's like anywhere you see a person, <laughs> you see an opportunity for an attack of the enemy. Yeah. Um, Trickle-down economics, you affect, you affect there, it affects everything else because yes. people are involved in all those things. And I also just think even from a person perspective of like really the identity and worth and the hopelessness and... Um, you know, just the purpose, purposelessness. Yeah. Like, I think that's where where people are being affected. But where I see that in, among these, like, groups, I really see that in the family unit. I think the family unit, even in Christian families, yep. are is, is really struggling. And, um, and so I'm – and it makes sense, right? Because I think I feel like the family is supposed to emulate – um, the body of Christ and it's supposed to be a sanctuary and it's supposed to, there's supposed to be discipleship that happens there and growth in Christ. And, and so it's like, and, and, and nobody knows you better than the people who live under your roof. And so just those combinations are just ripe for problem. So, and I'm not going to share their name cause I don't have permission to, but I was talking to a couple this week, this last week. The dad called me and said, Jason, I'm really wrestling. I feel like I might be being a bad dad. Okay. And he goes, um, my kid has a baseball tournament this Sunday. And we have a rule that when if something's on Sunday, we're always going to choose church first, unless it's really special. It's not like they're not going to have 50 million baseball tournaments. He goes, but I feel like such a bad dad because I feel like I'm robbing him of this opportunity for baseball. Mm-hmm. To play this thing, and he goes, and, and and tell me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong in putting church over baseball? That's such a weird conversation because most parents don't give two thoughts about it. Oh, of course we choose baseball. And and I said, first of all, you need to know I'm not going to judge you, regardless. I mean, you have to make the decisions you want to make, and I'm not I'm not trying to pick at anybody who is saying no. We want our our child to be at these baseball tournaments. But he's at war because he's like, I want my child to realize that Jesus is more important than baseball. 
or football or hockey. And he was feeling like he was a bad dad yeah. because he wanted to put Jesus first. And, he's, and he goes, I'm, I'm more annoyed. I'm more frustrated because the parents know that church is important. A lot, of, a lot of these parents are Christians, and yet they're the ones scheduling the tournament on Sunday. How twisted is that, mm-hmm. that he feels like a bad dad because he wants his child to love Jesus first? And yet I get it because so much of it is, well, you're robbing your child of that, that experience, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, and and maybe back to the chess analogy, like that is where we are pawns. Yeah, the sacrifice that to follow Jesus in those moments is really not just the, the dying to self, but also it's the people pleasing, it, and it it's the letting people down part yeah. of it. Like I'm sacrificing what you think of me, son, and I'm sacrificing what you think of me, Christian friends, to make the choice to follow yeah. God in this moment. And it doesn't mean, and, and I'll, I'll say, like, when I'm on vacation, if we're by a church, I'm, I'll typically go to church. But if I'm at a Sandals Beach Resort because I've been working really hard, I don't feel guilty that I'm not at a church. So the, the goal is not a shame, like, you must always be at church. Yeah. But to now, all of a sudden, we're, we're making this comparison of, and I'll use sports right now, because I do believe it is an area where the enemy has gotten hold of the church. I think when it comes to Christian families... We don't, we don't realize how many idols we put in our kids' path if we're not careful. Our, and at the same point, our own path. That's right. And we can become legalistic about it. And I want to be careful of that because let's say it's the Baseball World Series. Like if they miss this, their kids could get into the championship, which will be a memorable thing. But this is one of 50 tournaments their kid's going to have, right? But we make everything feel like it's a life or death situation. Oh, my gosh, he's going to miss this thing. And, and yet... What is it that we've somehow missed within our church culture that we've made church being with Jesus compelling, more compelling than going fishing or going golfing? Like being with Jesus should be far more compelling. And I think that's one of the ways that Satan has got a hold of our families is that church is not compelling enough anymore because we don't see what church, what, what the purpose of church actually is or what community is. I don't know. Am I, maybe I'm off on that. Tell me. I'd love to hear thoughts. Like, I know as a parent, I think it's just one of those things too, where it's like, all right, if I'm telling my kids, like, you need to be at church, you're not going to do anything else. You can't be in any, you can't go to your baseball game. I immediately think about, all right, now when they're adults, they're going to do the opposite of what I did because they're going to remember how uh, my parents didn't let me do any of this stuff because of church. Like, I'm not going to be that parent. And it's so hard. And that's where you really need to, I think it, I think that's why the church is so important outside of a Sunday. Yeah. Church doesn't, Sunday is not the only day we, we do church. And so we need to instill that in our kids and we need to teach them. It, it's more than just a Sunday morning. It's it's so much bigger than that. Yeah, and I think, and I, this is why I love this discussion, because in the midst of that, I think we run into the other part is Sunday morning is the gathering, and, and now all of a sudden we can run into the opposite problem, which I don't need to be a part of church because I can do church anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's such a, all this stuff is so slippery and difficult. There's no easy answers. That's why I said, I'm not going to shame you if you're like, dude, I want my kid. Because on the flip side, I know other kids who are like, my my parents made me understand that life in the body of Christ matters and that baseball, it, I can still play baseball. I'm just not going to play on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And there's no easy answers to it. And so like for yours, I agree with that. I want them to realize that church happens outside of that, but you're called to be a part of the local church. And I, I watched all these. Now I see a lot of Christians who are like, well, I don't really have to go to church because church is anywhere I want it. And not that this whole thing is about conversation about church, because ultimately we were talking about families, but how does he get a hold of families? He gets them out of community. Yeah, he puts that that complication right That's in the middle right. of it. Yeah, it's a complication. And, and I like we, that word, complication. If we become legalistic about it, well, now that that's where I think we see kids... Well, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because when, or because when I was a kid, I had to go to church. Yeah. But if faith was compelling... If faith was so compelling, you're like, are you kidding? I want to be a part of what God is doing. I think that, I think that's on us as a church is, do we make church compelling? Do we make following Jesus compelling compared to the rest of the world? And I don't know that we always do. I feel like I'm, I'm leaning more towards Amanda's approach to it, but I feel like if you're, if you're going to, like, let's say you're going to skip church on a Sunday for a sporting event. 
then use that opportunity to talk about why church is important. Like, I, I don't know, I feel like there's still a, you can have a church service together with your kids. You can still make a priority into how do we see God in this day? How do we see God this week? How do we, how do we serve somebody in this moment? So I do think there's elements of like, but I do I, I do agree with you as well, though, because I do think we, we do prioritize things above God. And so if we are going to choose sports so we don't push kids where they don't want to love God, then how do we show them to how to love God and do sports? I think I think and in a, community, because yeah. the community is part of that. I think that's that's the part where there's that middle ground. But does community have to be every single week? Community. I think you could argue that you can do community. Um, in other ways. I think if you're doing it like I'm going to skip every single week and I'm not going to ever come to church, I'm just going to stay online, then I, I, I would agree with that argument. But there are there are times when you're going to be sick and can't come to church. So, okay, and so, so I think that, that that shows that, like, I don't know, I think community can still happen. And I think if you make it a priority where baseball is going to now or any sport's going to now take, or hobby. take I, place of church, I think that that would be a problem. But if you're just going to miss it for one time, thing i i don't know to me you could still find ways of having community like i you know i can go over to amanda's house and we can still talk about god at her house like there's still community can happen and be a part of the church and not always be with a huge group of people my thing is and this is where i think the enemy is has been working in families is how many families do that yeah and 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 I and I and I also just speak like locally to Clear Lake Iowa. How many families in in Zion are regularly discipling their family? I don't know. I don't know the statistics on it, but that's so I I, I totally agree with it. But I think that's I'm gonna, the problem. Then. Correct. Not the that's sports. where the enemy that's is. That's where the enemy yeah. is getting the family division. It's not the sports. The sports just come along or any the sport other is distraction. The tool that's for just distraction. The, that, that's just the thing. The real root of that is that Satan doesn't want families to come together to worship and to know God together. Yeah. And and I think and this is this is why and it, this is why I think we have to be so careful not to take a legalistic stance on it. Because I do, I know for a fact, I have parents that are like, hey, we're so bummed, we were so bummed we were here. We watched the service online together. We talked about it. I'm like, that's awesome. Most parents aren't doing that. Most parents are, Sunday's not even a thought, and they'll show up to Sunday when they feel like it or when it's, a, when it's convenient. But this is the challenge that I would give towards the family dynamic, and I think this applies to our culture and society. Um, why is it that we're afraid of disappointing the football team but not disappointing the Lord? Why? Well, if my my kid, the 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 football team is going to be so disappointed if they're not there. But what about the body of Christ? And now all of a sudden, we care way more about a sports team, what they our role in that, than being in G, being with the community of faith. And again, I don't know the answer to that. And I I think we can run into legalism where now all of a sudden no sports on Sunday, and that's not where culture is. That battle was lost a long time ago, and we're not going to change that. And I get that. That's where I think the compellingness comes in. If you have community in church in general, if if the church and not in the creepy, like we're going to go buy a property in the middle of the woods and live there as a commune type of church. And there are churches that do that. But I think if the church community was more compelling to where you wanted to hang out with your Christian brothers and sisters, where you cared, you were so excited about being with the family of Christ, which I'll tell you, if you, now compared to the first century church, and I'm grateful, um, I'm grateful we don't live in the first century church because that was not a very fun time and we're blessed in this, this conversation wouldn't have happened. In the first century church, like they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They lost family to follow Jesus. And so if we were to say, hey, hey, first century church where you literally lost your entire family and community, you have the choice. They would say, you're probably not a Christian. But that's because they had to. Like in the ancient world, you you gave up everything. We give up so little to follow Jesus. And that's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is I'm not worried about someone killing me. I'm not worried about my family disowning me if I become a believer. The curse, I mean, that does happen in other parts of the world. Just not here. It just that's doesn't what I'm happen saying. in the, the Western culture. That's right. And that's that's where we're blessed in that. And and I think the other side of that is then how do we how do we create a community that is compelling and that, and still give people freedom to make those hard decisions, because I know there are parents who love Jesus, and I think this is where he he attacks. He goes to people. People affects the church, 
Well, sadly, too many churches don't show compelling faith. Like, why would I want to be a part of this? Like, it's full of division and backbiting and it's boring. Like, yeah, I would agree. I think the greatest sin a preacher can do is to offer a boring sermon. Like that section of your sermon I told you to go. That's right. Just like that. And, and now here's the other side. And Derek and I, we've had, we've had conversations around this as well. One of the things that I also appreciate about, and then we got to end because we've been at this for a little over almost an hour now. Um, but I appreciate that we can come with different perspectives and it's not an attack. It's a conversation. And, and there's a reason why we have to be able to have hard conversations and not just always be in agreement on stuff. Uh, yeah. And I, um, I read a line this week that cert- basically it's certainty is cruel. Yeah. And so it's really this idea of like, if you're going to have a hard line one way or the other, that's going to be cruel to somebody. Yeah. You know? And so I think it is important that we understand when we kind of completely off topic, but I do think it could be a tool of the enemy <laughs> to be like, well, it's, it's got to be this way when it really is this my way or the highway yeah. kind of mentality that that, that is not received well, that's from the other. Yeah, that's not received well from the other side of that opinion. And so basically what we just modeled in here is that there really are, there really are a lot of right ways to do it. Like you have to have a deeper conversation because it's not black and white. It's not certain. Yeah. It is hard to understand. It's sometimes it's right and writer and sometimes it's wrong and wronger. Yeah. Well, right. And Amanda, she brought up, and she can elaborate, but she brought up in, in small group this week that uh, she's, she seems to focus less on the right or wrong and focus more on the, the person the person and what they're experiencing and what they're having to suffer through. So you can, I don't want to speak for you. I, know I just did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to speak for you, Amanda, but let me tell you everything that you said. I'm passing it to her. Here's the baton. Uh, yeah, I immediately, like, I know a lot of people will attack their decision, what their, their decision is wrong. They'll tell you a hundred times your decision, what yeah. you are doing is wrong and not understand why the person made that decision uh-huh. or why they felt they needed to make that or decision the suffering from and it. the hurt that goes mm-hmm. behind it. You know, it might not have been an easy decision. And so I immediately think of the person, the circumstances, like what led to that. And my heart goes to the person for that. And it, it's so much bigger than than that think, one decision they made. Yeah. And I think that is the heart of God. Mm-hmm. I think Christ sees the person. Well, and that's, I mean, you look, we, we see that modeled Jesus healed on the Sabbath. We need to be careful not to make so many rules that we become modern day Pharisees. And and I think that's the middle ground where, and I'll go back to this because it was such, we had such a big conversation about it, but let's say sports. I can't judge and say that person doesn't love Jesus. I can't, I can't say that. No, I think we can. I think we should always offer loving challenges and everything. I know people who go to church too much that now they think that by going to church, that's what makes them right with God. And so they're uber religious and they have no relationship with Jesus. I have to go every single day. Yes, me too. But I don't (laughs) Oh yeah, I work here. Um, But I think that's, Jesus looked at the person and that's what the law was. Sabbath designed for man or man for the Sabbath. And Sabbath was designed for man. And that's the purpose of church. The purpose of community was for people. And again, that's why I think for me, the bigger challenge that I want to focus on, and I'm not saying it's the right one, is if our community is not, if our community is less compelling than something out there, it means we're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. If we're really doing church well, if we're being the community that Christ wants us to, Everybody, not just adults, kids, we should want to be a part of that community. The hard part is we're just often not compelling. We're boring. We're mean. Um, we don't have donuts. We don't have donuts. That's not fair. Like, that's <laughs> that's not fair to me. She's not even here to defend herself. Um, and people might not know that that's happening, so sorry. Now you're knowing. Um, I already had somebody say, well, then I may not be coming to church in the park. And I said, you probably weren't coming for the right reason. If you were only there for donuts. They were joking. Oh, oh I was like. They were being oh, in jest. Man, that's, no, no. that's hard to say out loud. Casey's is open. Thinking. Grab some. No, they were, they were being in jest. They said that maybe I won't be at church in the park. And I'm like, well, but I know them. They'll be there. Um, but this is, this is the spiritual warfare. And this is where we're going to get into the number one place that the, the enemy attacks is our mind. It's the thought when God, when, when Satan gets a hold of our thought, he gets a hold of our behaviors. And that's why we have to have these conversations. It's also why we can, we, we can disagree or have those complications and work through them. Well, hey, uh, if you're listening, my hope is one, I don't want you to ever feel uh, judged or condemned in any of these. 
But these are things we wrestle with. And I'll tell you, as staff in a church, we wrestle with these things. And I know there are Christians who wrestle with these things. And, and that's really the goal of the Breakthrough Breakdown is it's we want people to hear the conversations that take place. We don't always, well, I think we always get along, but we don't always agree. And I think there are times when we have different perspectives and hopefully what we're really wanting is God's perspective, which I don't think any of us has perfectly. Uh, unless it's directly in God's word. And then that's clearly God's per- perspective. But last time if I checked. You can clearly understand it. That's right. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you found this helpful, do me a favor, share it with somebody. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, also, uh, if there are questions that you have about this particular topic, um, I'd love for you to submit them online or find a way, maybe post it in notes under when this is released to ask a question. Um, this is going to be a big topic, and I don't know how long we're going to be in it. We could be in it for four weeks, be in it for 10. I have no clue. I'm just trying to be obedient to what the where I feel like the Spirit's moving. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough Breakdown. I'm Jason. Jennifer. Amanda. Eric. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.